You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. It's a play-by-play cast first this week. Welcome back into the pod, everyone. It's the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters, hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster, a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparation of some of the biggest and best names in the business. I am your host, Joel Godet. We are, of course, on social media. At PXPCast, I am at Joel Godet, and our guest today is Dave Tasca of ESPN. If you don't know the name Dave Tasca... You haven't seen him on camera, because for the first time here on Play by Play Cast, we have gone behind the camera. Thought it'd be cool to get the producer, director idea of what makes a broadcast tick, what makes a broadcast go, and what makes a good play-by-play broadcaster from a play-by-play standpoint, and from a producer's eyes, and from a team standpoint. So, really good conversation coming up here with Dave, who I've known for a really long time. We went back, uh, or we go back to... When I was with the Buffalo Bisons uh, as their number three broadcaster, Dave Tasca uh, has been involved directing video boards and Bison's Vision, the internal television broadcasts and just Bison's television broadcasts um, for a very long time. And then for the last 15 years has been at ESPN, where he is also involved in their school production department, so to speak. So he is one of the they call them professors, or at least they used to call them professors, but kind of the the resources for schools throughout the country that produce their own ESPN3, ESPN Plus content uh, that kind of goes around and checks in on you and answers questions and helps out and all of that. Uh, And one of his schools is Ball State. So Dave and I have worked together over the last couple of years uh, as he has checked in on some Ball State broadcasts. So we'll get Dave's perspective on things, uh, but this is a conversation we taped in person. Because for the last week, Dave was actually my director as I was working Little League World Series softball regionals here just on the northeast side of Indianapolis. We had the Central Regional. Uh, It was really cool. Chance to uh, work with ESPN, which was really cool. Uh, And then, you know, going into it, I didn't really know what to expect. If you've never done Little League before, it's actually a really fun broadcast. It was a great week. Because you don't think about These are 11 and 12-year-olds. Like, this is the biggest deal in the world to them. To be on ESPN, even if it's just ESPN+. And I I say that just from the standpoint of, like, you can't turn it on the TV. You've got to find it on on the app. Um, It's still on ESPN. There's no difference. It's still the platform. Logo is still there. One girl made a catch that was number seven on SportsCenter. Top 10. So that's... That's wild. I mean, think about that as an 11-year-old. The intimidating nature of, like, where you are. And there were certainly some nerves earlier in the week. But then it was just cool talking to the coaches who are so gracious with their time and and the players and the parents because they're happy to talk. Like, they just want to talk about where they're from and tell the story of where they're from. And 
Uh, the kids all get a questionnaire from Little League, so they're filling it out. So we've got a ton of background information on them. Uh, if we don't talk to them at all, or that, you know, give you some threads to pull on to further talk to some of them. Uh, and there's like such a fun innocence to it also. Every, everybody on their questionnaire was asked to tell us a joke. So you, like, I've got an arsenal of dad jokes that will go forever at this point. Um, but it was, it was just really cool. It was, it was different than working in college athletics or professional athletics where I love it, but you always, I don't always, but there are times you feel like you ask somebody for an interview and they do it because they have to, or because this is part of the job or, um, you know, this is part of the deal. Like that's just, all right, we'll do the interviews. Um, and even if they're good, bad, indifferent, whatever at this level, like if you ask to talk to somebody, it's like the coolest thing ever, like an 11 year old. Hey, tell me about the district tournament. Tell me about the state tournament. Like, okay. Hey, it says here that you're also a figure skater. How'd you get into that? That's kind of different than softball. Tell me about it. There's just a, a an eagerness and a giddiness and an innocence to it that was a lot of fun. And then the pure joy in which they played the game was really fun. I will say, though, you have to have your head on a swivel. Because Little League softball, like if we're being honest, at that level, as you're still growing and developing, throws aren't necessarily as hard. Catches aren't as sound all the time. So taking extra bases... <laughs> was like the the rage so normally like that's the thing you had to get used to is like doing a normal baseball or or a or an older level a college softball game there were several times where ball four is thrown so okay i look down in my scorebook i write down ball four walk i look down to the next hitter and i hear something going on and i look up and the girl's at second because she walked to first and then just kept going. It's a two-base walk. Like, da- I dare you to throw me out at second base. The the aggression with which they ran on the bases uh, was both A, really cool, but B, man, did you have to have your head on a swivel? Because you never knew when somebody was going to stop. It, it was very much the idea of, I'm going to be aggressive and I'm going to make you throw me out. I dare you to throw me out. And that was kind of uh, kind of cool. Also because that's how I play slow pitch softball. So it, it made me feel better about that I'm not the only one. <laughs> so uh, it was really cool. Really good week. Uh, and a lot of time to work with Dave Tasca this past week as well and our, our entire phenomenal crew. Uh, so let's dive into it with Dave Tasca and talk about producing, directing, his views on what we do and how we can all make a better broadcast together. Dave, you and I have known each other a very long time. Yep. Uh, I guess we have worked together technically because you've been to some Ball State games and like observed as we've done them. But this is the first time we've actually worked together here at uh, Little League, so I had to go. I thought things are going pretty well. Uh, we're on this new system. Uh, picture yourself at home and picture yourself in front of a TV and picture yourself instead of watching the game picture yourself having five cameras in front of you and you can punch a monitor push a certain part of your tv screen and that would actually take the camera that you have so that's kind of the system i'm working with 
So it's a new system. I've only worked with it twice, but it's a lot of fun because you literally touch the camera that you want or you touch the replay that you want. So it's very intuitive. It's very logical. Uh, but, you know, I think at home, if you were watching it, you wouldn't know that we're using a system like this. But to go back, we're usually in a big 53-foot truck, okay, when we're doing games on television. And usually my job as a director is just to call the shots that you see at home. Usually there is a technical director that's pushing all the buttons. So the difference in this is that I'm actually not only calling the shots, I'm physically pushing the buttons, I guess you could say, uh, that you see on the TV. So it's a little bit different. But things are going well. Makes it really easy to choose which, like, you it know, does. okay, I want that, so that's button three. Yeah, and, and the thing is, there isn't another, you know, the person sitting next to you, the TD, so we have are really, really good. But it's just like everything else. We're human. We're going to make some mistakes. So the only one you can blame on this show is yourself because you're two people and one on this show. So if there's a mistake made, it's because you pushed the button wrong. It's not like anybody else. The play-by-play guy was horrible. No, the play-by-play guy is doing great. <laughs> and, and the thing that's great, which I love about both our play-by-play guys on this show, is that they're highlighting the kids. I mean, this is all about the kids. For them to get this far to this level is a major, major accomplishment. And I've already heard parents come up to me and say uh, not only how well they like how the announcers are talking about the kids and they're kind of playing up the family angle, which is good, but one thing that I think you should realize is they are really, really nervous. And they're really nervous because this is the first time they've ever been on ESPN. Yeah. You know, you're a 12-year-old and you're on ESPN? That's kind of crazy, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, you know, it was funny because I made that point when the one kid was like, the thing I'm most looking forward to is being on television. And, like, we take it for granted. Right. But for them, this is like, oh, but, like, this is going to be somebody's Facebook picture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, they're, they're going to use it even when they're seniors. You know, I was on ESPN as an 11-year-old. Can you say that? Yeah. What's cool about your job from the standpoint of, like, do you enjoy, I, I think it's probably very easy to look at something like this and be like, I'm in Fishers, Indiana, doing the Little League World Series for a week, regional round. But what's cool about the mix-up of this versus going on the road and doing LSU Alabama? Well, the great thing about this is the youth. You, you don't get to see this kind of enthusiasm because, like I said, they're not used to being on TV. And uh, there's really a lot of camaraderie be between all of the teammates you know you talked about you know how one teammate was making all the ribbons for everybody to put in their hair you know the parents are very involved in it too you know it's not like you don't get parents that go to college events you do uh, but those parents you're shooting like a thousand feet away from the field you know these parents get to see it they're right on top of it yeah. you know and you're a parent of a college kid yeah you might see them after the game but with these kids, they're going back to the hotel rooms. I mean, you know, it's it's completely different. Uh, and, and that's kind of the one thing that's neat about this. Although the one thing that I will say is that I am a sports fanatic. 
So I love sports. I mean, I coached my daughter in Little League softball all the way from the time she was five to the time she was 18. So that's the one thing that I really love about this because I know what these teams are going through. Uh, but to get to this level, uh, you know, none of my teams ever got to that level. This level is fabulous, so that's that's kind of a neat thing too. It's a wild thing is I'm like my, none of my not not that I was good, but none of my teams ever got that high, and these teams are like their eighth consecutive year here. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what's in the water? Um, but hey, each you know, great. Uh, let's talk about you a little bit. Um, what's your job? So. I am a producer director for ESPN. That's kind of like half of my job. So let's dive into that. We talked about directing and choosing the shots you see on TV. I always compare what's the difference between a producer and a director. If you're on a cruise ship, the producer is actually the captain. So the producer plots out, and we have two great producers in Eric Poseman and Greg Pike, and they plot out the show. They put together the format for the show. They're telling us when we're going to commercial break, what we're going to do when we come back from commercial break. They're deciding what replays we see. Me as the director, I'm the guy physically on the wheel. I'm the one steering the ship, okay? So I'm the one that if the captain says we're going to hit an iceberg, i got to make sure we avoid the iceberg. Okay, so it's my job to make sure that mistakes aren't made and that everything's going in the right direction. So I'm the one that's physically choosing what cameras you see and when you see them. I'm physically putting the graphics in and physically uh, punching up the replays. The directors will run the replays. I mean, the producers will run the replays. But that's kind of my gist as far as the director goes. I'm kind of the one steering the ship. Why do you do it? How long? Well, let's like, when did you decide okay. this is what I was going to do? No, this is a good story, and I'm glad you asked that. Uh, and this goes back, anybody's listening and still in college, if you're at Ball State, uh, internships are just, they're key. They're in this field, in this media communications field. Uh, I, professors would never want to hear this, but it's not the grades you get, it's the experience you receive. Okay, so I went to a school that literally was a glorified high school. But why? The only reason why I went to it as a college was they offered four internships. So I knew that if I nailed the internships coming out of college, I'd have a job in the field. And that's exactly what happened. Um, The Buffalo Bisons have the oldest AAA stadium. Uh, It is now 32 years old. But way back when, when I was only a junior, Um, I was the first intern when that stadium was built. And they had a TV run out of the stadium, an in-house TV called Bison Vision. And I did mostly graphics that first year, but at the end of the first year, they put me in the director's chair. And when they put me in the director's chair, the light shone from above, and I knew exactly that's what I would be doing the rest of my life. And pretty much the rest of my life, that has been what I've been doing. I've been very, very fortunate to be in this field for over 30 years and still being able to direct. Well, tell me about the light being shown. What what clicked? What, were you, what was the moment where you said, yep, this is it? Well, it, baseball is my first love. I love all the sports I get to do. But baseball, softball included, because, you know, it's the same sport. So... That's my first love. So to be able to do AAA baseball was really neat to begin with. But then to really kind of see as the director, you're kind of the one in control. You're kind of the one shaping it. 
And, you know, for directors, it's not just cutting. You're visually deciding what you see. So, granted, you have to work with great camera people. Camera people make or break you as a director. Because when you direct, you really want to choose the shots. You don't want to keep telling people, I want this, I want that. Plus, people don't want to hear that, you know. Do you want everybody telling you what to do all the time? So I'm not really telling them more what to do. We have a meeting before the game so everybody knows what they're going to do. I'm more choosing the shots that they give me. So letting them be the artist and then you hear your colors go paint. Exactly, exactly. I'm the one that's painting the picture, but my picture won't be good if the colors they give me aren't good. Which is interesting from the standpoint of everyone in the in the crew, for lack of a better word, having their own responsibility. Um, and from a play-by-play standpoint, I think often we get in the mindset, or you just don't know until you start doing television, what goes into everything. And it's you know it's it's not just what you say; it's what you talk about versus what is being shown and how those things are married and how you tell stories and I can tell a story but you guys have to show it too and how that all works in concert Um, there's a lot more to that than meets the eye isn't there well that's the biggest point my job as a director when I first got in the field and first started working with ESPN uh, the late Dan Shoemaker who started a lot of us on this path there's a bunch of us that work at ESPN that owe a lot to Dan Uh, He just told me one thing that's really simple as a director. 95% of your job is really just showing the viewer what the announcer is talking about. So as long as I'm listening to you, and as long as I'm showing the picture that you're talking about, and not showing a fan in the stand when you're not talking about the fans, or vice versa, if I want to show a fan in the stands coming back from a break, then communicate with you and say, hey, we're going to show some fans coming back. And there we go. So as long as you're communicating, as long as we're on the same path, then it looks seamless at home. And it looks like everybody knows what they're doing. Uh, But the other thing about all of our crews is there's no one person that's more important than the other. You know, you are only as strong as the weakest link in the chain. And everybody has to do their job for everything to go right. There was definitely a couple times today where I started saying a sentence. I was like, yep, should hit them on talkback before I went down this road. Um, so it's all exactly, yeah. Um, from a producer's chair standpoint, okay. what makes a good play-by-play guy? Well, it's multiple things. First of all, you're describing the play. That's key, okay? Sometimes you'll have play-by-play guys these days that work in stories and it's good to work in a story but it's good to know when to work in the story the main responsibility is to still to tell the viewer what's going on now in television is a little bit different yes because the picture is directly in front of them they can see what's going on so another big thing for play-by-play guys to do in television is being able to make a seamless transition to incorporate your color analyst. Now, you don't have a color analyst, so you have to be both uh, here at the Little League World Series. But even when you're solo, you still have to do both because you tell a story with the way you call a game, but you describe the story and you tell the viewer why things happen in the way you analyze the game. Okay, so it might be today how the pitchers were really dominating. In our first game that that I worked today, there was a pitcher with a rise ball, 
that the first time through the lineup, nobody was laying off of it. So if you don't lay off of it, what's going to happen, you're going to strike out. And that's pretty much what happened to Illinois in game two the first time through the lineup. But then the second time through the lineup, they adjusted, and they were hitting the ball better. They didn't hit enough to win, but they made the adjustment. So when you, as a play-by-play guy or a color analyst, see that adjustment being made, that's the things that the viewer sometimes doesn't know. So you need to tell the viewer, hey, look at what's going on here. And then we can support you, producer-wise, being able to show replays that say exactly what you just talked about. You know, if you're talking about a pitcher who's got a great changeup, we can show a replay of the pitcher with the changeup. You know, in our game today that we worked, we had some really good infield play. And we had good infield play by a second baseman who's a lefty, which rarely you ever see. So play-by-play did a great job of saying how rare that is. But then the analysts came through and saying that, you know, it's still very quick the way she's fielding the ball and getting the ball to first, even though she's literally throwing across her body to do so, which you normally don't see in the infield. What's the best way in your eyes for those two jobs, when they're different people, um, to, to work in concert and to be able to set the person up next to you? Uh, are, are there methods that have worked more effectively or like, not like pinpointing people or not using names, right. but people that do it more effectively and why they do it more effectively? Well, one of the things that I like to tell play-by-play people is that don't be afraid to ask questions because chances are that question that you're asking the analyst is the same thing the viewer is wondering at home and that's a great way to make a seamless transition so if you're asking a question of the analyst the analyst has to answer the question so it makes a very seamless transition in doing so the analyst really has to know that when action is going on and a basket might be scored or a run might be scored, they can't talk. And the other thing that they have to realize is that when, when the pressure ramps up higher and then when a spectacular play happens or a game-winning hit happens, again, the analyst can't talk. It's really up to the play-by-play to describe that. And sometimes the play-by-play shouldn't even talk. You know, we can take care of showing those shots and showing the emotion of winning a ball game and piping up the sound of the teams that, you know, that that won the game. And then the play-by-play can come back in. So there's a lot of different aspects to it. But it's really just making sure that, you know, you're describing the play the analyst is telling the viewers why things are happening, but at the same time, getting the timing in. I don't know if there's a right answer to this question, but is there a right way to ask questions so that you're drawing things out of your analyst uh, in an effective way, but you're not putting them on the spot in a place where they don't have an answer, so to speak, or, or they're not comfortable giving the answer because it goes down a path they don't want to go down? So just yes or no questions. You'd never want to ask a yes or no question, okay? So if you ask a yes or no question, there isn't a lot more to do with it than say yes or no. Now, a good analyst will take that yes or no question, know where you're going with it, and still expand on it, okay? But an analyst is giving an opinion. So you always want the opinion, hey, did the Nebraska batters, do they need to lay off this change up more? What's, you know... They, if you leave it open-ended, that's what 
we tell play-by-play -play people to do. If you leave it open-ended, now we can go in three or four different directions with it. And, and you might learn something that you didn't think he was going to say. And that's a good thing, too. And, and when something happens like that, you can play off of that and follow up and ask another question. And there's probably the lawyer rule in there, too, where, like, don't ask a question you don't know the answer to. So, like, but, like, discuss it ahead of time. Right. So, and that's where I guess you bring in a producer and a director, too, to say, hey, I'm going to ask John about this. Let's be prepared to go there. Yeah. It's all about communication. We are in the communication field. And when bad things happen on a show and you see mistakes happen on a show, it's, honest to God, it's just a failure to communicate. And there's, it's, it's communicating with everybody. The people in the truck need to communicate with the announcers. The announcers sometimes can need, need to communicate with the people in the truck. Well, I, as a person in the truck, then need to communicate with my camera people so that we're showing the viewer what the play-by-play -play person is talking about. The audio person needs to know if we're going to be showing fans and we want to hear more from the fans, or if we're going to show this very important for you if we're going to show a real speed replay and we want to hear the crack of the bat or we want to hear the slam of the base or in in basketball i mean in hockey you might hit big big hit against the boards you know anytime you can incorporate that stuff into a show that's great especially in football i mean we're coming up on football season so there's going to be a lot of times where the producer will say real speed replay layout and layout tells the announcers don't talk we want to hear the speed of the play i've never had that happen to me yet so that's a good one really? to, that's a good one to have okay. nugget in the back of my mind okay um there is uh the million dollar piece of advice you always get as a play-by-play -play announcer and that is be easy to work with because if you're easy to work with usually more opportunities will find you so um that usually involves being easy to work with as a from a producer's standpoint so uh what does Dave, the producer, or Dave, the director, like to deal with from a play-by-play -play announcer, and what drives you completely bananas? Well, being easy to deal with, it, that's the same thing with everybody on the crew. You know, it's a team effort. It's a true team effort. It's the same thing that you see from a 12-year-old softball team that's advancing to a Little League World Series, or whether it's Ball State football or basketball or baseball, it's a team effort. So when you've got somebody that puts themselves above the team, that's a problem, okay? And it's very, very rare. And people will be surprised by this, but it is very, very rare for the company that I work for, ESPN, to hire people, especially in the play-by-play -play realm, that are like that. Because that can be a problem for everybody. Because if somebody's thinking about something else and not telling the truck and telling everybody what's, what they want to do with it, well, then we can't cover what they're talking about. And if I can't cover what they're talking about, I'm failing at my job. And nobody wants to fail at their job, okay? So it's, it's really important that everybody communicates from the top on down. And, and this is kind of weird for me to say this to you, but the top really kind of comes from the announcers. The announcers are the top because you're the ones that's describing the action. It's up to you to tell the viewer what's going on. So as long as you're communicating and we're communicating with you, usually things go well. Do you have a moment where or maybe a couple moments where you 
produced something where all of that worked in concert well together and you were like you know what we told that story really well and I'm proud of that moment yeah I actually have to go back to my days Basically, my career has been split in two. I've worked 15 years at Empire Sports Network, a regional sports network in Buffalo that's no longer with us, unfortunately, and 15 years at ESPN. Uh, one of the last years we worked at uh, Empire Sports Network, St. Bonaventure had a really good college basketball team that year, and they ended up losing to Kentucky uh, that would have put them in the Sweet 16 in triple overtime, allowing Tayshawn Prince, that still makes me mad to this day, to shoot a game-tying three to force it into the third overtime. If you would have followed him and put him on the line, you wouldn't have lost. But I digress. So they had a game earlier that year against Temple. John Chaney was the head coach. And back then, and it's changed because of what I'm about to tell you, the fans were right on top of the temple bench. Well, one of the Bonaventure fans thought it would be really cool if they took a cookie and hit John Chaney with it. Well, they hit him in the back. Chaney turns around, grabs the cookie, can't believe he got thrown a cookie at him, takes the cookie and throws it on the court. It crumbles into a million pieces. Play is stopped, and John Chaney gets a technical foul. At that point, St. Bonaventure was down by seven. St. Bonaventure makes a two-shot technical to make it a five-point game. They get the ball back, hit a three to make it a two-point game. And the game ended up being decided on a last-second three that Bonaventure hits. Crowd storms the court, and we just told the story really well. You know, from a director's standpoint, we were showing Chaney going nuts. We showed the cookie that he was hit with. You know, we told the viewer, hey, he's got every right to do this. But if you were an official and all of a sudden you see a coach take a cookie and throw it on the court, you're not going to call a technical on the fan because you think the cookie came from the coach. So that's exactly who always just has a cookie in his pocket. Exactly. Exactly. And then after the game, you know, Cheney was just ripping apart the Bonaventure fans. And honest to God, after that game, the following season, the Atlantic 10 made Bonaventure change where the fans were in relation to the visitors' bench. That's wild. Um, that's You can't really top something like that. I mean, but I guess that comes to the point of, like, you have to be prepared for anything because you never truly know what you're walking into. Right. Yes, you you that's where good camera people come in okay so everybody when they see you know video on your tv that's done by your local news station okay your local news stations when they shoot for you and they shoot high school football they're going to shoot it one camera really tight because they want to see that perfect spiral and they want to see the receiver coming down i don't want that i never want that i need to show the viewer why he got open I still need to see the ball being caught okay but if I show it that tight then I'm not showing you why things happen I need to show you not only that they happened but I need to show you why they happened okay so I need to be wider in my coverage and as long as you're wider in your coverage and the perfect example is that and we tell everybody this is that when you're covering basketball, once that ball hits half court, I want to see all 10 players. Well, if that camera one wasn't wide enough to show all 10 players, I never would have seen the cookie hit John Chaney. 
because we would have been too tight. And that just the tightness of how close that bench is to the playing service allowed us to show that. So it's a matter of making sure you're seeing everything happen. Creativity. Where does that come in to the conversation from a preparation standpoint? Um, mm-hmm. You know, we always talk about, well, how can you tell a story differently other than just showing a person and, all right, we'll talk about them while we show them. Um, and that can be incorporating pre-shot elements like, hey, we have 10-year-old video or, hey, pre-game or at shoot-around, can we do this type of thing? Uh, what are those meetings like? Like, how does that all, how do you guys produce that and how do you like to do that when you, when you have an idea or a play-by-play guy has an idea and says, hey, what are the ways we can present this? These days, it's so much easier. I have to be completely honest with you because social media, there's so many more postings and there's so many more things that happen and everybody thinks it's bad. A lot of the stuff, obviously, we don't show any of the bad stuff on air, but the stuff that we get is great. Like the previous game that we just did, we had a shot of the same team, the bunch of 12 and 13-year-olds we just saw when they were eight years old. And it was the same group together as eight-year-olds. And something like that is completely different. Now, could we have planned that? No, we never could have planned that. That happened four years ago. Who would have ever known the team was here? But thanks to social media and thanks for the picture being posted, we are able to take that picture and then incorporate it. And that's being creative. You're trying to find out different ways to tell the story. And there's so many different ways to do it. But any time that you can get input and you can kind of show where a team came from or where a player was and now look at where they are, that's always a good thing. And creativity comes from everybody. It's a team effort. It comes from my camera people being different in the way they might shoot a warm-up shot. It comes from the play-by-play person that says, hey, you know, I talked to the sports information director at this college, and he said, you know, they have footage of them when they went on their Italy trip, okay? Well, we want that footage, okay? We want to tell the story that maybe the reason why this team is going to be so good this coming basketball season is they spent the summer together as a team in a different country playing European teams, You know, anytime you get something like that, that's team bonding. It shows multiple things. It shows the team getting together. And because they had that experience, they're one step ahead of the team they played that didn't get together over the summer. Preparation for you in general is what? Like how how do those how do those conversations or any conversations play out from let's we're doing a game Saturday. At what, like when and what conversations do you have with announcers or with anybody to try to get on the same page for that, assuming you've probably got a game on Tuesday also? Okay. You're always a week, at least a week ahead as a producer. Okay? So if you're producing a game the week before your game, that's when you're sending out your opening introductory letter to sports information directors. You're including all your play-by-play on it and your colors so they know who you are, okay, because we know you're going to ask them for information too, but we're going to ask them to send you that information. And that's where once you get that information, that's where going through your game notes really helps, you know, 
you'll see stories in there that you didn't know and then you can follow up on those stories and maybe use some of those stories but if you're not doing this a week in advance and you're literally pulling out your notes the day before you have no time to build stuff you have no time to be creative you have no time maybe to get something extra that you wanted and also like we said it goes back to communication if you're communicating a week out and something happens now they've got time to tell you about it now you have time to react to it okay the worst thing for a producer or director play-by-play guy Sometimes you'll get injuries and all of a sudden you're planning on doing this open and you're focusing on this person and the SID comes up to you 15 minutes before the game and says, he's not going to play. Great. I had one of those this year. But again, you talked about preparation. So when that happens, you've already known, okay, if I didn't want to talk about this person, I'm going to move to this person. Okay, so it might be, okay, instead of getting a warm-up shot or getting this fabulous graphic on him, I might have to show him live and just put in his stats for the year, okay? But because you have that in your head, when something happens like that, it's not panic time like, what are we going to do now? You know, you, you, you can already move to a plan B. And in this field, you better have a plan B because plan A's don't happen 50% of the time. So what is the ultimate separator to you? Um, You work with a lot of play-by-play guys. Okay. What makes the great ones great and the good ones good and the guys that you just don't ever want to see again, guys that you don't ever want to see again? Actually, it all comes to me sometimes, most of the time, less is more. Because I work a lot on a college level, and because on a college level, especially with college basketball and with college football too, we get some great games, and it really doesn't matter what conference it is. It does not matter. You have to let the game play out, okay? And you have to know not only how to describe a play, but when to let things go and let things breathe. And then after it happens, the right question to ask your analyst to get the analyst involved on why things happened, okay? The ones, the worst ones are actually the ones that talk the most because they're not letting the game happen in front of them. They're forcing the action, and they're trying to get in all these stories on all these players. And as a listener and as a viewer at home, I'm paying more attention to what they're saying and what they're trying to say than what I'm seeing in front of me, and that should never be the case. And you're probably missing what they're saying anyway because there's so much of it. Right, exactly. So it it's... A very hard thing to do for a play-by-play person and an analyst to know when to pick your spots. So it takes experience to get there. Believe me, every first play-by-play guy I ever worked with talked too much. And every first analyst I've ever had didn't talk enough. You know, that's the nature of the beast. But when you graduate to a higher level, you get the timing. And it's, it's almost like music. You've got to find that rhythm. 
And when you find that rhythm, you know when to talk, you know when not to talk, you know when to let things go, you know when to really describe things hard. Is there a secret to the rhythm? Uh, no, it's, it's letting the game play out in front of you. The beauty of sports is this. That's the reason why I still love it after 30 years. You have no clue what's going to happen. You might have a team that's 0-16 playing 16-0. But you know what? The 16-0 team just decided that day, do we really need to show up for this one? And the 0-16 team just had a really good day where everything was falling. And that's a story. And and that 0-16 team beating the 16-0 team might be the first thing you see on Sports Center tonight. Just because it wasn't expected. That's with your with your call. Sports. Yeah. Right, exactly. I mean that's that's the beauty of sports is that when something happens big, you know, everybody's gonna see it. Well, Dave, uh, they drove up a truck, so we've yeah. got some background noise. <laughs> exactly. Um, thanks for doing this. I appreciate you sitting down and uh, diving into your world and, and how you see that through uh, through your eyes a little bit. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, that's Dave Tasca joining us here on PXPCast. We'll get back to the play-by-play side of things next week, so join us in seven days. This is PXPCast. My name is Joel Gadette. Thanks for finding us here on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you have downloaded this. Ratings and reviews, we certainly appreciate them. If you want to throw a couple of stars our way, that would be outstanding. We'll see you in seven days. My name is Joel Gadette again, and we are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.